glad that you're here. We are coming to you from Wistia Studios here in what was once a conference room and now has a live studio audience. That's right, we've got the crew. Um, and we've got this great show for you. Now, this is our 10th and final episode of the season. That's right. Um, but we've come a long way. We've learned a lot. Um, I've, you know, I've gotten a little mileage through in the show, aged a little bit. Maybe we can show a shot from episode one. <laughs> That's right. So I may have aged, but I've also had a lot of fun. I did not expect that this desk would be full of creatures that I'm terrified of or that I would be surprised by that. I'm literally creating nightmares for me, thank you. Um, I didn't expect to head to the track and, and race Lauren's time. I didn't expect to do most of this stuff. But one of the things that I hoped would happen, I think really has happened, is that we have learned a lot from these different leaders, from these marketers and these CEOs about building brands. And that has been a delight, and today is no exception. So I sat down with the CEO of HubSpot, Brian Halligan, and he told me about how they think about building a brand, how they've built HubSpot, and the influences that he goes to that have helped them um, figure out how to do that. It was a great interview. I think you're going to love it. Now, we also have this. What is this? What are we doing with this here? That tissue box looking thing is a gift. <laughs> I tried to blow my nose in this. It didn't work. Yeah, so. no. I'll get you. This is a gift. What's this gift? It is, I mean, it's a gift for you. It's the 10th episode. It's been quite the journey. As Should I take know, it home or? Well, no, but okay. it's, it's been 10 episodes and we, we've been trying to get a brand wagon here. Chris, we, we worked with the design team to figure out what car it should be. Yes. Which was? A 91 Volvo. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. drove down to mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. We found one in pristine condition. Perfect. So Perfect, right? Dro drove it back. We found Michael, our artist, who's going to help uh, do some metal working to, to bolt on some video accoutrements <laughs> to the car. And here we are now with this gift for you. So why don't you, wow. why don't you give it okay. open? Okay. Well, let's take a look. What do we think is in here? Hmm. Oh, hello. The keys to the brand wagon. Yes. It's here. That This is a symbol. The car is here. It is finished. The brand wagon is complete and ready for you to see. And it is still drivable? We'll find out. Can you we'll find that? out. Well, let's go check out the brand wagon. All right. All right. Behind this picture of a stock 91 Volvo <laughs> is the brand wagon. Y'all ready to see it? Yeah. All right, let's count it down. Three, Three two, one. All right, Savage, you ready to see this car? I am so excited to see this car. All right, let's start with the outside. First things first, we needed this thing to turn some heads. So we have some design heads. All right, so first thing you'll notice, we get the, the brand wagon decals. Perfect. We got them on the side windshields. We got it on the rear windshield. Yeah, I love that one that on the 80s back. vibe. Yes, yeah, we got it on the, on the front windshield, yes. of course. Um, new tires. Blacked out rims. Of course. Yeah, just black out only the rims. The old tires, That's what I always say. The old tires had a slow <laughs> leak anyway, so we needed something new. All right, so we got the Wissy flags instead of the Volvo logo. Love it. Chromed out DSLR hood ornament. Is that going to stay on there? Oh, I think it's rock solid. Well, <laughs> it's rock it's solid. Pretty, it's pretty solid. That's, solid. That's solid. That'll take 80 miles an hour, no what problem. Is this, what is this, a Swedish plate? It's a Swedish plate, and we do have the vanity plate, so this thing is registered Wistia. That's amazing. So the roof rack obviously adds that safari vibe to the outside mm -hmm. of the car, but it actually has a ton of utility. So we have these 
baby pins all oh, over wow. the place. Okay. So you can use, we can actually use this. All kinds of grip gear. It's basically a, a giant light stand, really. Sweet. Uh, and then, of course, the drone landing pad right on the front. Obviously, I noticed that instantly, and my first thought was that looks like an old drone. We gotta update that thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the classic this Phantom classic. 4, though. Okay, fine, yeah. Actually, it turns out it's extremely hard to land a drone on uh, the, the hood of a car, but uh, <laughs> it looks cool. All right, so in the dash, uh, Michael did an incredible job of kind of outfitting this thing. So this looks like this VHS player is part of the car. Is part of the car. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. belongs there. So we have a VCR in the dash. We have an old uh, Fonica uh, editing keyboard up here. That's helpful. And then in the back, we have tons of old video gear set up almost like a children's museum. So you can press all the buttons if you're riding around this thing. We have the old mini DV deck. We have a bunch of beta decks back there. We have patch panels. It's really fun. It is. There's something very ridiculous about being in here with a drone yeah. and all these people. Yeah. Just feels exciting and dangerous. It's like a museum piece. It, it really is. <laughs> all right, let's pop the hatch. Yeah. Woo, look at this. First thing you may notice is the vintage VHS drawer okay. filled with 110-100 VHSs. Perfect. The beta deck that has transformed now into an electric battery power generator. Okay. To power. Okay, what is it, what is it, what's in here, what's in here? It's a television in the trunk. Oh my God, wow, that is amazing. I love that this car looks so good. I love the functionality in the car, and the most wild part about this is that this is actually a company car now. I can drive this to work if I want. Let's hear it for the brand wagon, everyone. <laughs> now it seems only fitting that we have a TV in the back of the car. What do you think? Should we watch the final interview with Brian Halligan right now? Yeah. Let's do it. Here we are, the final interview of the first season of Brandwagon. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. Brian Halligan, the CEO of HubSpot is here. Now, Brian started HubSpot in 2006 with his co-founder, Dharamesh. And since, they have been teaching the world about inbound marketing and how you can have customers come and find you instead of you having to go out in the world to find them. It's an amazing concept. And they have been constantly evolving and constantly learning. So it was so fun to sit down with Brian and hear about how he thinks about building brand affinity by creating incredible customer experiences. Now, you may not know this, but Brian is also a huge Grateful Dead fan. And he is such a big fan that he wrote a book about what marketers can learn from the Grateful Dead and the way that they marketed themselves. It was super interesting. There's a ton of actionable stuff from a band that was truly popular in the 60s and 70s. That's insane. So we've got a great interview. I cannot wait for you to watch it. Here it is. Brian, thank you so much for being here on Brandwagon. So excited that you're here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I was getting ready for today's interview, I was making all these questions to ask you. And I realized every question that I had for you was about marketing. Oh, cool. And I think that you all have done something pretty incredible, which is that you are the experts at being an expert at this point. Like, if, if someone wants to have an answer about marketing, there's a challenge or something they're thinking about, they know that they can go to HubSpot. For someone has thought about it, you've thought about it, Darmesh thought about it, the team has thought about it. That's an amazing accomplishment. Um, how did that happen? Was that, like, did you evolve to get to that place, or was that just the intention from the beginning? Uh, that was actually kind of the intention. The, the, uh, the genesis of the whole thing was... I was working at a venture capital firm and I was watching how people marketed and they were cold calling and they were spamming and they were doing trade shows and they were doing all this crappy stuff that everyone was ignoring with spam protection and ad blocker and caller ID. 
And Darmesh was blogging, and his blog was a crappy little blog that he hosted himself called OnStartups.com, and he had a thousand times more interest in his little blog than any of these venture-backed uh, software companies. And we just saw sort of an arbitrage opportunity. If you can create remarkable, interesting content on the internet, people link to it, those, that content will spread. It'll spread in social, spread in Google, and it'll become a permanent asset kind of in your marketing you know, balance sheet. And the more pieces of content you create, the more answer, questions to answers you have, that becomes over time an incredibly valuable asset. So we've created at this point probably hundreds of thousands of pieces of content to answer almost every question you could come up with associated with marketing or sales or service. And because we've been at it so long, uh, boy, the, the amount of leverage we get from that is really insane. The amount yeah. we get north of 10 million visitors a month to our site, almost all of which is organic from Google. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. It's been amazing. Yeah, and it's amazing to sit out with an intention and then also do it for a long time. Yes. Like, it's not like you said, we're going to do this and do this for a year and then we're going to try something else. Yes. How did you stay so focused? You just knew it was going to work or how did, because that's, I feel like a lot of us come across ideas or opportunities to do things and then people start going and then at first usually it's hard. Like, and how did, how did you continue through that for, for so long? I think we just saw it working, Chris. I mean, it was working incredibly well on Darmesh's blog. And then we started our own blog and it worked incredibly well. And then we started on our early customers. And, and not only were we doing ourselves to grow our own business, but then we built a product to help people do that. And we just saw it working and we stayed on it. One of the things I've learned about marketing is it's sort of like there's these layers of it that, that kind of layer on. So layer number one for us was our blog and, that's a layer that we started from day one of HubSpot 13 years ago, and it continues to layer on. And it's just this asset that's been building up and pulls uh, traffic in. But over time, we've laid on, layered on lots and lots of layers. But if that layer is working, you want to keep at it. Yeah. And then you need to learn new skills. And we're still doing this over time that really, really have worked. Well, it's also, I mean, you've, you built these amazing content assets in your marketing. We've also built a product to deliver on this promise, right? Yep. And, and how, what would you give advice to somebody else when they're thinking about, like, you find a trend, you're going after it, you're executing on it like an arbitrage opportunity, but then not only do you have to do it for yourself, you actually are building the tools to help others do it. How do you, how do you even figure out how to do that? I think a lot of companies, if you look at so many companies, the founders built that product for themselves. Uh, I hear it over and over and over again. There's some problem in the world that that founder is trying to solve for themselves. I was just listening to a podcast that Patrick Collison was on, uh, the founder of Stripe, and he had a startup before, and he was just trying to solve a payments problem. He's like, wow, this is really ugly trying to solve this. So he built it for himself. I feel like that was Darmesh and I. We wanted to solve that problem for ourselves and for our friends. And next thing you know, it kept building. And we solved the marketing problem. Then we we're solving the sales problem. We're solving the service problem. We've expanded the footprint of the problem we're trying to solve. But it's interesting. I mean, I, I believe that completely, too. Like, you have to be your own best customer, which is how you can push your product and yes. figure out what to do next. You can have, like, key insights and also going to see. But it is. But how does that align with, like, customer development? Um, and the reason I say that is that I feel like I've gotten the advice over the years, you know, go to customer development, figure out what customers want. But I have an idea, I think, of what we want. And it's like, how do you balance those things? The balance has changed over time. The early days of HubSpot, we did not do a lot of customer development. Uh, in fact, customers would come to us and say, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. We like that idea of inbound marketing. But we really just want to spam better. Yeah. We want to cold call better. And we want to do this old school stuff better versus transforming. And we didn't 
we've done a lot right and a lot wrong. One of the things we did right is we stuck to it. We said, nope, you need to transform the way you market to match the way people actually shop and buy stuff today. And that includes getting really good at creating your content. And the way we explained it to people was, gee, uh, it used to be that you would take an ad out in a newspaper or an ad out on a TV show or an ad out on a radio show and you're renting space on somebody else's asset. Today, it's really easy to create your own newspaper or blog or your own radio station, a podcast, or your own TV show, a video cast, let's say, and then sell your own ad on your own asset. And yeah. You can pull people into that in a new way. And we were right about that. I mean, we have been wrong about lots of things. We were right about that. And we just kept pushing like, no, you need to, tr you need to transform. You don't need to tweak. You need to transform. And there's certain times in history where you need to tweak. And there's certain times in history where you need to transform. 13 years ago, that was a good time to transform. Yeah. And you've built so much trust now. For like the brand of HubSpot is a brand that has a lot of trust. That's good. Okay, let's go to a brand that I know you care deeply about, The Grateful Dead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I have, I'm friends with a bunch of people who are true deadheads. Okay. Um, I know you're a deadhead. They are a, a band that built unreal affinity and did everything differently yep. to build that brand. Band and brand. Yeah. That brand band. Ironically, I think the Grateful Dead, we're talking about brand wagon. They were great brand marketers and they did it. They did it in some clever ways. Let me give you one or two that are like top of my mind. So there's an interview with Jerry Garcia a hundred years ago and somebody, and somebody asked him about, you know, popularity in the music or whatever. And he said, and he likened the Grateful Dead to black licorice. He said, you know, black licorice, 5% of the world loves black licorice. 95% of the world hates black licorice. We're black licorice. And I think that's very applicable today because the internet is all about polarization. The more you polarize, kind of the better off you are, for better or worse, yeah. by the way. Uh, another thing they did that I thought was super, super clever is like if you walk into a concert, let's say you walk into your, I know your favorite band's Duran Duran, and so you walk into a Duran Duran concert. Yeah, I'm in there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you show up with all your recording equipment. Uh -huh. They say, no way, you can't come in with the recording equipment. Of course not, that's our, that's our IP, you can't record. Grateful Dead were the exact opposite. They said, Come on in with your recording equipment. We'll give you a great seat up front. You record it. Take that content and spread it with all, to all your friends. And they were like the only people doing this. The right? only one doing it. They're the original content marketers, yeah. real viral, viral marketers. That's a lot of the idea of where we came up with HubSpot. Or even one more. Uh, normally, if you're going to your Duran Duran concert, you had two middlemen in between. You had Ticketmaster that you had to call, and then you had the scalpers that you had to deal with. Grateful Dead didn't like any of that middleman action. They, they, they cut out Ticketmaster and they cut out the scalpers by creating their own music distribution company. And you could only buy four tickets at a time. Okay. And so they really limited the scalpers ability to get in there. And they created a direct relationship with their customers. And that very much a lesson of the internet. The internet is about really about disruption and about disintermediation across almost every industry at this point that they've disrupted. And so the Grateful Dead were actually really good brand marketers. They didn't spend any money on branding or any of that. In fact, I remember this one interview with Jerry Garcia. I never met Jerry Garcia, but I watched a lot of uh, interviews of him. And someone was asking about this marketing idea. And they said, well, you're conscious of doing all this unusual marketing at the time you're doing it. And Jerry said, no, I was just, just trying to solve for my fans. Yeah. And we didn't, we, we never were big on conventional wisdom to start with. Yeah. So we ignored conventional wisdom and we embraced this new way and we invented this new way because it just felt right to us. And I think there's a lot of, lot to that in today's businesses when people just are like, yeah, this is how everyone's been doing it for the longest time. But just because everyone's doing that for the longest time doesn't make it right.
Yeah. Well, I think it's, I mean, how do you start fresh with where we are? Like, what are the opportunities in front of us today? Yep. Right. I mean, so many companies I think are, um, and what we hear is people are like, how, how, what do I do to, what do I do today to stand out? What do I do today to do something different? Um, and I think it is like, you have to be creative and you have, you have to try to do something that no one's done before. Yep. I'll tell you what's interesting about, and now I'll flip that to HubSpot. So people are like, well, what did you do right? And we did a lot right, we did a lot wrong. One thing we did right was this inbound versus outbound kind of created a new category of marketing that worked. Two other things worked. Uh, one was, ironically, we created an agency program that worked. So not only did we allow, we allowed customers to buy directly from us if they wanted to figure out how to do marketing on their own, but a lot of people didn't want to do marketing on their own yeah. or inbound marketing or figure it out at all. They wanted to outsource it. So cre we created a channel of mostly website developers, but SEO consultants and social media consultants that we taught how to sell HubSpot and implement HubSpot. And we taught them to move from kind of one-off projects to retainers and really building a business around that. That was not a play that was run a lot and still isn't uh, run a lot that worked really well. The other play that really, really, really worked for us was uh, SEO, just like piling up the content, just over time piling up and staying on. And both of those plays are still very much working today. Yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, those are things that you started with early. Yep. And then the agency thing you figured out and it was like, but back to like, how do you solve the problem for the customer? So I was like, I want to do this, but how do I do it quickly? How do I do yeah. it with someone who's done it before? How yeah. do I do it where I don't have to hire a team? Yes. And it's like, yeah, there's probably a lot of people who are only going to do it. They can work with a trusted agency. A so lot. It, make, it makes perfect sense. Um, but it's also, you've created moats, right? Yep. I mean, I think, I think about that a lot in a world where it's harder to stand out. If you get attention from somebody, you want to keep it. Like you want to keep people engaged. You want to create an amazing experience because it's so hard to get them to come back. Yep. And then once they're there, how do you deliver on it like Jerry, right? Like how do you actually go and build what they, the solve the problems they actually want solved? I agree with that. I agree with that. It used to be everyone was talking about product market fit. It's more like this product experience fit, product go to market fit. Building a great product today, ironically, I think is table stakes. Like to build a great piece of software 20 years ago was really expensive and really hard and really time consuming. Building a great piece of software today is still really hard, but holy crap, is it cheaper with AWS and open source and yeah, whatnot. But, and, but you have to have some kind of distribution. I mean, and, yep. and you have to have some kind of distribution, then you have to actually deliver on the promise you're yep. saying. Because yes. that is, I totally agree with you. There's, we've had many competitors who basically, you know, they were small and they're like, oh, we're going to go do the exact same thing cheaper. Or we're going to go do the exact same thing with some other thing. Look, look products look similar. Yeah. And that's just not enough. It's not. Like, it's not. You have to do something different. Yep. How many people work at HubSpot now? And um, how fast are you hiring at this point? I think we have about 3,000 people, but don't hold me to that number. Okay. And how fast are we scaling? Not fast enough, actually. We added, if, we, if I look at our last quarter over quarter, we added about 20% new heads. And we wanted to be like, well north of that. So it's hard to, hard, hard to hire Upscale, that many yeah. people, especially if you want to keep your, uh, your bar high. One of the things I think a lot about with scaling is you want to have a great message and experience to your customers, but if you can't figure out how to communicate internally, it's pretty hard to deliver on that. You all have clearly figured out how to get your team aligned and going in the same direction. Yeah. I think people think a lot about creating a remarkable product, and they can create that remarkable product and a remarkable experience, it'll be a magnet that will pull customers mm -hmm. in and retain them. Mm -hmm. And they spend all their energy on that. Mm -hmm. 
I think culture is kind of like product to employees. So you need to create a remarkable culture and so remarkable it's like a magnet that pulls people in and retains them. And you need to create a flywheel for employees. So the culture's got to be so good that the employees want to stay a long time and refer their friends. If you're completely relying on outside headhunters and stuff like that, it's really hard to scale, particularly at quality. So I think of thinking about your your culture like a product, making it unique relative to your competitors, which are different in your local market than your product, is worth uh, spending time on. And then one of the things we did, a lot of people know about this, was we wrote that culture down, mm -hmm. the culture code, and what we stand for really define the relationship between the employee and the employer. And that's been a very helpful tool. I would recommend that to everyone. You gotta think about your culture like a product and how it's unique. I just think in today's day and age, and in all markets, supply and demand is just out of whack. Uh, any kind of product, whether you're selling a razor or video software or CRM software or wires or cameras, like every market, it's just so easy to create a new product today. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's a software product or a hardware product and building stuff in China, like, man, this is just the cost and time to create something cool is hard. In, in any category, the amount of competition is just insane. If you think about razors, you go into Amazon, you search on razors, it's like thousands of different razors. And then you've got Dollar Shave Club and like all these Harry's, all these other razors. Like it didn't used to be that way. Mm -hmm. It used to be every industry was an oligopoly and there were a handful of competitors slogging it out. It's not that way anymore. And it's just supply greatly outstrips demand in the customer side. Same thing on the employee side, like unemployment here in Cambridge, Massachusetts is probably close to 0%. It's really low. If you're, if you're somewhat technical, uh, you have a million opportunities, particularly if you're a software developer. Uh, the demand for those people is huge, Very whether high. you're Mass oh, General yes. Hospital or Wistia or HubSpot or you name it, MIT. So many people are trying to hire that, that same person. Uh, supply dramatically outstrips demand. So, I think both are harder and you need to really create a great, great culture and a great employee experience or it's going to be hard to scale in today's day and age. Now that may change, unemployment may go up, things may change in the economy, but I feel like on both those flywheels, uh, boy, the, the table stakes are really high these days. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've talked about like the funnels not working the way that it used to be, that moved to the flywheel. Then the flywheel is about creating an amazing experience, a customer experience. And that's really, now you're talking about experience disruptors, which is companies that have figured out how to create an experience that's so different and, and really deliver something that um, in a world that differentiates a, a product. I feel like when I look at where we are now, we're in this moment, hyper-competition, where experience matters, brand matters way more. How did we get here? What happened such that this is um, so important? I think you just look at the arc of history like you, people may look back at this year and say this, this was the age of convenience. Like everything, people people used to say your product has to be 10x better for people to switch. Your product needs to be like 10% better for people to switch. Like switching costs seem to have dropped, and people are willing to switch for convenience. And so we have tried in our own go-to-market and our own servicing, our own product to make everything just strip that friction out and make stuff just much, much more convenient. And whether that's 
the early computers to what you have today, to the early bicycles to what you have today, to the early cars to what you have today. Everything's just about making things more convenient. And I think we live kind of in the age of convenience. And I think that's key in stripping all that stuff out. You brought up an interesting uh, topic, the flywheel and the funnel. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the funnel. I've used funnels since 1990. I've used the funnel. Like my whole darn career, was, I must have drawn funnels on the whiteboard like an infinite number yeah. of times. <laughs> <laughs> I had funnel conversations. The funnel, though, it just doesn't understand me. It mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. lost the plot. Mm -hmm. The funnel tracks your your marketing channel really well, tracks your sales channel really well, but our most important channel doesn't track at all, and the most important channel is our customer telling other customers what's going on, and it doesn't give you any credit for that. The funnel also tends to be the sun rises and sets on the quarter with the funnel. Mm -hmm. Like the funnel starts on the first day of the quarter and ends on the last day of the quarter. All the deals come in the last week of the quarter. That's just not the way a business should run anymore. It should be more like a flywheel and it should be taking friction out of that. And you should get credit in your business for taking friction out and getting that flywheel to spin faster and faster. That's how you get long term, right? And the funnel doesn't help you with that. So I personally, I didn't come up with this flywheel metaphor. Uh, Jeff Bezos uses it and the good to great guy uses it. And I just, the more I thought about HubSpot, I was like, the funnel's broken. We need a new metaphor. So the way we measure everything inside of HubSpot now is flywheel. So we have our customer flywheel. Mm -hmm. Then next to that, we have a developer flywheel. So the more customers we get and the happier they are, the more third-party developers like you at Wistia, thank you, by the way, build richer and better integrations. And that thing spins and the developers and customers spin together. Then we have all these agency partners. The more customers we have, the more attractive it becomes to become an agency and that spins. So HubSpot's like three flywheels that all work in unison. And they all have to kind of grow together and the friction has to get lower and the value has to get higher. That's how we measure HubSpot these days in those three flywheels. That is awesome. Brian, thank you so much for being here on Brandwagon. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. Let's hear it for Brian Halligan. That's a wrap on season one of Brandwagon. We learned a ton, we got the car. I wanna say thank you to Brian Halligan. I wanna say thank you to all the guests on Brandwagon, to the crew, and that's it for me. Hey Savage, where are you headed next? Wherever the open road takes me. <laughs>